I'm Taylor Twelman from ESPN, and you're listening to the Plugged In Nashville Soccer Podcast. Yes, indeed. I know you've missed me, but I'm back. And so is Nicholas. This is Drake Hills, co-host of Plugged In, a National Soccer Podcast, a new episode. We've got some games to recap. This is the Nashville SC recap episode officially, Nick. So we've got the two Canadian teams, Toronto FC, CF Montreal. I almost called them Montreal Impact. We also, Uh-oh, how dare you? We also need Credentials to, revoked. Credentials revoked, yes. We also need to talk about Nashville's first loss of the season against New York Red Bulls up in Seems so Arena. long ago. Seems very long ago, but it was only about two weeks ago. Uh, but that's also the thing that we haven't given you all an episode. So thank you for coming back as we have a lot to unpack. Like how I did that, Nick. Um, I do. It just comes easy to me. You know, it comes easy. You know, it doesn't come easy? What? Results for Nashville SC, even though they're still getting them. You know, not coming easy. the big narrative here, Nick, is that Somehow, some way, there is enough, and I think I will get to the actual goal scores later, but there is somehow, some way, enough in the tank for Nashville to come from behind. Like that is, It's the one narrative that is very, very stubborn and dying at all. Like It's, it's something about the team and, and the way – I don't even think it's what Gary does as a coach or the tactics. I just simply – think it's just the identity and, and the culture of this team especially at home right I, I think tactically i think we've seen them home be a i, I don't want to call it necessarily um free-flowing but it's at least been what you expect it's been the uh, the efficiency um both often you know in attack and in defense i think in the first half you haven't seen the that next you know the next uh you haven't seen a lot of them connecting everything together in the first half. It seems to take them more than 45 minutes to really feel confident and feel like, and not even confident, like at, at some point, like in these second halves when they're down, they're, they seem to play much better when they know that they have to get get goals on the board. Well, the, it's, it's, it's the way that they play that allows that. It's this, this I'm not going to call it monotonous, no, but it's the way, not. But the way Nashville C plays, it's not necessarily the most I'm going to punch you in the mouth assertion type of style. They don't. Right. I, obviously, I think they would like to think that they can play direct if they want to. But to this day, they still want to find ways to play through the middle, through Hani, and allow some opportunities to, I guess, shall we say, fester inside the 18 box. It's either that or it's crosses coming from Dan Lovitz or Alistair Johnston. Or some sort of one-on-one from Dan, from Randall Leal, um, so or, or Rodrigo Pinheiro. We've seen that. We we have late seen games, we have so seen not. Pinheiro come in, obviously against uh, against um, Toronto. Toronto, which I will say, in the four come from behind draws that we've seen from this team, uh, not including obviously the goalless draw against Miami. Uh, this is, I think, Toronto. Uh, excuse me, not Toronto. I think Montreal was probably the biggest eye-opener. I'm not saying that for recency bias, but what I am saying is that 
it goes to show that not all of them are the same because Montreal should have been a win right from the jump. And you, the fact you could that probably have, argue that for both Montreal games. Sure. And the goal that Montreal scored and the fact that Kiki Struna was willing and successful in losing CJ Sapong, his marker in the box, which was similar to Toronto FC's second goal on last Wednesday. And that both of them should not have happened. But with Montreal, I think that game should have been one nothing, two nothing. But my guess was going to be one nothing. I think whether it's um, CJ Sapong, whether it is uh, someone like Luke Hawkinson, or Anibal Godoy had a sitter, I believe that was in the what was that? I think that was the second half. I think so. I think that was the second half, and it there was a shot that basically binged off um, James Patamus, the goalkeeper went off his hand it hit the post I believe and it and it bounced off and Godoy was right there on the porch and he placed it wide left that should have been a goal it should have been one nil Montreal I mean excuse me what should have been one nil Nashville and that should have that should have been it that would have changed that would change the game but in all these comebacks whether draws or now against Toronto last week wins the one at Atlanta before Toronto I think the one that really got to me was Atlanta because that is on the road against a team that was a lot more direct, a lot more faster than you. That If you haven't been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that pitch is the widest field I've ever seen in MLS. Like it feels like running gassers on that field would be the most just cruel thing you would ask anyone to do. And they did. They used it. For, for Atlanta, they used it. They used the width with, with their wingbacks, whether it was Brooks Lennon um, on, on one side, or I can't, I can't forget my man's name on the left, but the way they, way they, they used that width against Nashville was how they eventually opened up space in behind to get those early goals. Um, but then again, Hani Mukhtar saved the day. But then you have Luke Hawkinson, Scoring his first two goals was really a, was sparked by Jack Mayer, who scored his first career goal, um, at least in the regular season, to beat Toronto FC, a team that has struggled all year, but most definitely had the uh, really a, a devastating counterattack that caught Dan Lovitz out, um, and they scored their first goal. Jonathan Osorio scores the first goal, and then, of course, as I mentioned, the set piece and, and Toronto scoring their second you felt like Jack Mayer's goal and even Luke Hawkinson's first goal was going to be it. It was like, okay, okay, they won the game. Nope. Oh, okay, they draw the game. Then I think a great pass, I believe that was Dan Lovitz. He plays it into Luke. Chris Mavinga, the center back from Toronto, comes up and tries to challenge. Luke's first touch is spectacular. I talked with Jamie Watson um, from the Nashville SC broadcast crew analyst for Nashville SC and I told him after the game I said that was the perfect touch because it took Chris completely out of the equation by quick side foot opens up and all Luke had to do was just place it bottom left corner goal 3-2 Nashville over Toronto that was the best comeback I've seen from this team so far and we've got a little bit of a different period now because Nashville SC has played 
10 games. They're sitting sixth in the Eastern Conference. One and a half points on average. You're looking at a three, one, and six record. Three wins, one loss to New York Red Bulls, and then six draws. And four of those six are come from behind. So this, to me, seems like a narrative that is unwilling to die. But I will tell you, Saturday at Nissan Stadium, Philadelphia Union comes in. I'm, I, I really don't like any come-from-behind madness once again in this one. Like It's, it's one thing to go and, and host two Canadian teams that are playing in Florida because of the international travel ban that was. I'm not sure how that's going to change for the month of July and the month of August, uh, especially in the month of August when they, when they go, uh, I think, back to Canada. So it's one thing to do it to those guys, but it's another problem if you've got Prisbilco or you've got Jaime Montero coming at you for Philadelphia Union scoring a couple of goals first and giving Nashville SC a 2-0 deficit going into the half or, or somewhere late in the second half. That screams a loss to me, and that's my concern is you can't do that for this upcoming set of games, right? Uh, just looking at the schedule here, You've got, obviously, this is the third of the five match stint at home. So you've got Philly on Saturday. Then you've got Atlanta United coming on the 8th of July. And then you end it with Chicago, which just gave Philly a 3-3 thriller. I was about to say, you, you talked about Philly not being uh, li- you know, liable to, to drop those drop points in those situations, but... Chicago did just do that at home to Philadelphia. It they was, did indeed. They Philadelphia did indeed. led 2-1 at halftime and after and, and a, and a, a pretty, couple of own goals like they were, that was a crazy match. Jacob each Glesnes. team has own goals, right? And it's funny cuz cuz Glesnes was the one who had the equalizer. There you go. Well, excuse me, not not the equalizer. It was technically an own goal by Sekulich. Yeah. Um but, who ironically also scored Chicago's second goal, but I just I just find it it's interesting. It's similar to what Nashville had to do against Toronto. Right. Ali Bedoya is out. That's the key. That's the key factor of looking at the Chicago Philly game. Ali Bedoya, the very experienced national team experienced guy. He's out with a calf injury. You got Quinn Sullivan, youngster, comes in and scores Philly's first goal in the 28th minute. That sparks really, um, <laughs> I guess, a, a Nashville type of performance um going into the second half you've got Corey Burke who gets one in stoppage time in the first half and then obviously the Sekulich own goal which makes it 3-3 um in the 79th minute but again like that's not something that I want to that's I want to harp on yes right. it was it was in Chicago I think Chicago obviously really thought that that was going to be their game they've been struggling all year but when I look at this team, right, it still has Santos up front along with Burke. You still have Montero. Going into Saturday, will Ali Bedoya be fit? Not sure. But you still got Glesnes back there. You still got Kai Wagner, who is one of the, still one of the best left backs in MLS. The recent addition of Alvis Powell, the very speedy 
and sometimes erratic, but also a more experienced right back now. Right. Um, he knows what he knows what good soccer looks like w- with the Portland Timbers, but you never know what you're going to get from him. Right. And hopefully another, you know, maybe a little more consistency on the side might help him as well. Yeah. Well, that's going to be Randall outside. So I, I actually look forward to seeing how that matchup works out. Um, but again, they're playing the four four two diamond. I am very curious to see what Gary Smith does tactic-wise. If Jim Curtin from Philly keeps the 4-4-2 diamond, and if so, what does that mean for Gary? Does he – he's talked in the, in the past couple of weeks. He said he used the international break to tinker with a few different setups. He's looked at what it looks like to have a back five, what it looks like to have a back three, what it looks like to have four in the midfield – to have five in the midfield, what it looks like to, to have a three-front uh, formation and allowing maybe Leal and Muil to be a little more advanced up the field and someone in, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure who it would be, but someone accompanying Godoy and, and McCarty in the midfield to maybe be more of a 4-3-3 situation. What does your gut tell you, Nick Gray, about what Nashville could do tactically against this very well-coached Philly Union side. Well, number one, I'm glad this match is in Nashville because if it was in Philadelphia, I think we'd know the uh, the whole tenor of the match would probably change on Nashville's part. I think that you wouldn't see a ton of of. I think you'd be you'd see a Nashville side that would be pretty happy with getting out with a draw. I so think you're going to see that. In, you think you're going to see that this week October. as well? I oh, think in, October, in October, certain, October, yeah, definitely. Season, with when, that stretch of road matches where yeah, you, where yeah. they're going to try to get points as much, they're going to try to scratch out as much as they can. Literally, October is going to be tough, and I'm not trying to get off topic here, but you start October going to Red Bull Arena to play NYCFC, going to be tough. You come home. I'm. Let's see. I'm trying to remember who that would be. Uh. I'm not quite sure who it would be. Let me let me jog a, my a memory check here. of that would have the Columbus Crew, Columbus Crew before Philadelphia, and then trips to Cincinnati and Orlando after Philadelphia. Let's see. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So it was as I remembered. So it's two NYCFC. Then you go and play DC United. Then Columbus comes, and then you've got Philly, Cincy, and Orlando to close the end of the month in October. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Saturday, Nissan Stadium. Right. Philly Union is coming. And I think tactically, tactically, I wonder if there's anything to be gained by the changes. Like, do you think there's a point in time where Gary Smith, especially at home against teams that he feels like they should be able to beat? I was going to use the word pummel, but maybe not because I don't think Nashville SC has much in them right now to pummel teams. But I do think that there is going to be a time, and I don't know if that's now or if that's maybe six weeks down the road where you start looking at the math and and thinking, all right, well, we probably need to start being a little more aggressive with making sure that we are a little more aggressive with our tactics so we can kind of ensure that we get the the results that, you know, the the matchup should get for us if I'm Nashville SC. But I think there's going to be a time where you have where Gary Smith have to decide whether or not some of the tactics that he uses later in games are tactics that he's going to have to use coming out of the gate, which is 
playing a little more forward with the fullbacks, playing a little more forward with any of those wide players. You know, uh, you know when you bring in Rodrigo Pinheiro, I don't think there's any doubt that that's a guy who's going to want to play upfield. I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to want to play upfield both runs down the field, but also playing with the ball down the field. I think he's pretty comfortable with that. I think we've seen that over the small stretches of time that we've had him we, we've seen him Which on the field. Much. I won't say as much. It's a little bit at the end of the Toronto match. Right. Obviously, you had him come in. What was that? But, was does, that but doesn't game? Yeah, but doesn't his presence kind of change the feel of the team, especially down that right side? Uh, I think that you take one strength and you substitute it for another when you take out Alex Moyle and you put on Pinheiro because what Pinheiro can give you is that one-on-one ability, but what he can't give you is – and I'm not saying – Alex Moyo is the best service of the ball coming right. out right, but he's a better passer of the ball. He's, he's getting better at that. He's a better passer of the ball, and obviously, aside from aside from his defensive work rate and his ability to put pressure on other fullbacks and wingbacks that we've seen, uh, for instance, Tejan Buchanan in the win over New England, you see what he's done giving absolute problems to Austin FC in the win over Austin. Um, although him and Randall were a bit interchangeable in that match, you saw what he could what he can do for someone who's uncomfortable on the ball or not used to that type. But uh, other than that, Alex, what I like about Alex is he's willing to try things that force the issue. He asks the questions, uh, quote unquote, like Gary Smith likes to say, of fullbacks. I don't think Pinheiro can can do that yet. Still getting acclimated to MLS. That's fair. I still think, though, that when when it comes down to it towards the end of this year, he's going to have to be a part or somebody with his kind of skill set is going to have to be a p- more a part of the tactic tactical making of this team. The, 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 like I've always talked about, what is this side's best? What is this ele- the best 11, both in terms of personnel and tactically? I think he's going to have to be more a part of that conversation. And Alex Mule, I, I, I understand why he's in the team. He, he does good work. But you're also looking at this, this, this team isn't one that's giving up a ton of chances in the run of play. And they're also not – even though Toronto – and there was, there was a point in time there in the Toronto match where Toronto seemed to have the run of the place. Yeah, but look. But also, I don't think that Nashville ever felt totally in danger in that match, nor in the and certainly not in the Montreal match either. So I think there's there there's a, a point in time where you know it's it's almost like a staring match between Gary Smith and the other manager, where they're kind of you know staring at each other. Who, who's going to take the first step towards opening this match up? And if Gary Smith were to do that with his tactics and with his side a little bit more as the first step right off the bat, I think we'd see more, well, less stress, maybe not in better soccer, because obviously the last few games have been very entertaining for the, the neutral follower and also, also the National SC fan, fan. And if you're a beat writer trying to, to press publish on those stories My right goodness. at the end of the Toronto game. Toronto was terrible. I wrote three different versions. Three. I wrote three different versions in the span of, I want to say, 12 minutes. There you go. Fun time. By the way, 
the club decided to remind us late in the match. And I mean late. <laughs> I mean, like, we're talking only minutes left and saying, by the way, we are going back to in-person press conferences. So It was a good time to do that. It is a good time to do that. Speaking with Luke and Jack Mayer about their first career goals. Sure. Um, you- and first, the first start for, for Luke. But listen, that takes away some minutes off, yes. the, off the writing clock. But let me address some points in reverse order, um, starting with the most recent one on some points that you've made. First and foremost, you talked about the best 11 for this team. We cannot look at the start of this second phase, and what the second phase is, the end of the international break, Juneteenth, to, to the, now. Yeah, and probably so to the end the be- of the next. The, the beginning of this second phase, yeah. uh, which will end, I, you know, from my calendar, which will end with MLS All-Star Week, which is the 20, that starts the 23rd of August. Uh, this middle phase that we're looking at, so far, we have not seen the best 11 because of the international break. Sure. A hurt Walker Zimmerman to begin against the Red Bulls. We know that he had an abdomen issue that he suffered on international duty during the friendly against Costa Rica. We also know that Randall Leal was not his most, shall we say, uh, energetic self. You know, stamina fatigue was not all the way there after his time with Costa Rica, which was probably the most tied with Anibal Godoy, who played a ton of World Cup qualifiers with Panama. You also had a injured Dombaji. We still don't know what he can offer. CJ Sapong, which seems to be the best center forward for this team at the moment, had only trained once during the national break, which spanned three weeks. And we also know that... When you're looking at, you know, as we mentioned, a Jack Mayer, a Luke Hawkinson, these guys are still trying to get their feet wet in terms of starts. And there comes a a point in time when you start getting used to being a starter and you're like, okay, I'm not coming on in the 65th minute and giving all of my juice for the next, you know, 25. I've got to find a way to start at first whistle and be able to make it through 65 minutes first before I go a full 90 because that's true people think these you know I know I've put a pressure on John O'Cuddy's to play a full 90 but he's been here for long enough but for a guy like Luke Hawkinson who has been training his butt off and he comes he gets his first start against Montreal excuse me um yes yes against Montreal that's that's different it doesn't matter who you're playing you know so that's that's one thing. The next point I wanted to make, when you start talking about playing higher up the field and you've got guys like Dan Lovitz and Alistair Johnston, I would definitely want to press some brakes on that and just take a look at Toronto's first goal where Marky Delgado plays a ball from deep midfield into Richie Laurier in the middle of the park who decided to kind of move in from his wingback position he plays a dummy. The ball absolutely zooms past Dan Lovitz, who was kind of hugging up on Richie because he was marking him. Zooms past Dan Lovitz. Next thing you know, Arl Jr. has more green grass than A.J. Brown on a runaway touchdown. He had grass to eat, and he had time on his hands to play, 
that cross, that low cross, past Joe Willis to find Jonathan Osorio for the goal. If you choose to play a higher line and ask Alistair Johnston and Dan Lovitz to play like they are Jonathan Osorio and Richie Laurier, mm, don't really like that if, if from the press box view. I well, don't like that. I would certainly hope that there would be a better decision made on a couple of persons' point of view on that specific goal. But yeah, I understand well, I mean, the risk that listen, you bring but, in but, 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 on that. But I don't think so because if you look at that goal – that is completely avoidable if you play how Nashville C normally plays. Yes, Alistair and Dan hug the touchline. They absolutely hug it very wide. They're not clamped to, to Romney and Zimmerman because Gary trusts those two center backs to be able to actually play the ball well, um, passing the ball. Like I think they're, they're really well, especially Dave Romney. He's one of the best passing center backs, and there's a reason why you know he hasn't been – bumped out of the team, and rightfully so. He's been playing absolutely fantastic. Um, Another point I wanted to make was the Red Bulls loss. Kind of connected to the first point that I made and the fact that, yeah, I mean, you had a a side that's average, what, they're they're on average 23 and a half years old, New York Red Bulls, youngest team in the league. And whether it's Kyle Duncan – John Tolkien, 18-year-old Red Bulls Academy player, mullet, just a young, speedy pest, right? That team just had a lot more juice. And I, so I don't want to chalk up Nashville SC's loss and kind of clamp it with the Toronto teams that they've – I mean, it's not the Toronto teams, the Canadian teams that they played recently. Right. So I think for the Philly match, I've got, I've got a concern with how they could play, but certainly not – changing the identity of the team. I think the only thing that could change is the shape, but what they do mentally, how they approach the game should certainly stay the same. And I don't think that this is a team that you want to necessarily, shall we say, experiment with uh, because Jim Curtin, I don't think no matter how young it's gotten or who was injured, I think he knows how to set up shop and make sure he has a win in the bag. Excluding <laughs> the Chicago Chicago game. Fire game. Okay, well, so number one, I was going to ask you: Have you been to practice? Opens back up to you this week, yes, right? Yes, I have been the past two days. Oh, we are recording on a Tuesday. We here. are, and so I've been able to see some good sights. I was actually able to see a little bit, see some guys in person. Uh, Robert Castellanos, uh, Lali Pinero. Um, Jose Donaciano, the top pick from this past year's draft, or this year's draft, I should say. Being able to see Alex Muil, being able to see Hanwala Buana, uh, getting a chance to see those guys up close. And look, I'm not sitting here saying that I am over here watching tactical uh, setups and strategy that Gary Smith is putting into play, but I'm able to see those guys in action where they're playing one-on-one drills, um, going up against each other, a little bit of stepovers, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Got a chance to see Tom Judge, who I think is a sleeper. Um, kind of fell in the draft, but if you take a look at his resume from this past truncated uh, season with James Madison, top player in the CAA, uh, first team United Soccer Coaches, I believe all region in all America, I want to say. So he had an outstanding year. Um, can play fullback can play a little more advanced. If I'm not mistaken, he played a little center back as well. So I don't want to necessarily rule him out either. So it looks like 
they're in good standing. Obviously, the only thing that they probably want to address is that center forward position because Dom Baji, I think um, he's getting back to health. I think he's back involved. Uh, you know, he I think he's better with his rehabilitation. I think he's in the final stage of that before he officially joins the group. CJ Sapong is, has been training. You also have um, Abu Danladi scored his first goal for the first time this season. The last score that he had was against Houston Dynamo in that, that big win down there at BBVA. So, and then we'll, I, I, I certainly expect Jean Ricardis to come later this week. I, obviously, I don't expect him to be in the group for the, the match against Philly. Um, obviously, we know what happened down there in Brazil and Copa America, him being a part of that infected COVID group. But listen, I think that's, that's something that you have, to, you have to get into play. But this is the first match, I think, Nick Gray, that we'll see a better walker who obviously was not included in that that Toronto match uh, he, from the birth of his child. So congratulations to the Zimmer, Zimmermans. But you will see, I think, Zimmerman back into the side. You will see a healthy, ready-to-go Randall Leal. You will see a recharged Anibal Godoy. And you probably will see a healthy CJ Sepong. Um, looking at a formation, could we see Don Ladi and Sepong? as a two-front formation? Do you think that this is the time to roll that out? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that uh, Don Lottie, do you think he'd have the the ability to go 60, 65 minutes? I think he could. I think 60 is a, probably a good number for him, especially if maybe Nashville hasn't been clinical enough in goal to go up one, maybe even two if they're lucky. But to go up one at the half, I think that would be a perfect situation to maybe close out a good 55 to 60 minutes and allow someone like, shall we say, Hanwala come on, or maybe someone like Luke Hawkinson, who obviously, as I mentioned earlier, has been playing well, to come on. Uh, I don't know what that means for Mawil or Mukhtar, what you would do with those two guys. Uh, but, but again, uh, Hani is another guy who – it's interesting because he still leads Nashville in goals. He's got three. Right. He is one of four to score multiple goals. I think Mawil, uh, I don't know. Actually, not Mawil. I think it's, um, aha, Cadiz, Hawkinson, and Leal. Right. They all have two. Mawil, Dunlady, Sapong all have one. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because he's still the, he's still the guys technically. Right. Yep. And, and not, none, none of those numbers stand out to you. And all those guys say for Dunlady – have had, and I guess Hawkinson as well, have had ample amount of time in this first 10, 10 matches to really make their mark in terms of someone who can be a big part of the scoring for Nashville SC. And, and obviously we know not and it's not going to be a, a a team that puts out 60 goals in a, in a season or more. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think I'd like to see a little bit more from that. You know, I, I was thinking – you know, CJ Sapong has his effectiveness as a whole. He's still giving a lot of, you know, I, I still think like he's a handful for those center backs when he's making his runs and, and, and doing his things in the box. But, you know, obviously he hasn't had a ton of great chances. Um, Romney? I'm saying CJ Sapong. Yeah, Sapong. We're talking about I mean, center forwards. You, you, you go back to that, I think he had a couple of chances against Toronto. 
obviously he wasn't necessarily his his most fit self against the Red Bulls. Sure. But even against Montreal, I think he did a lot of work. He just yeah, works no, really hard. That, that's certainly that's certainly been the, the mark of his time. Yeah. In the Nashville SC shirt so far. And he any what he does is he doesn't let He's not a he's not a guy who you're not gonna have an easy day against him. Well, also nope. even if he doesn't have he, a good chance, even if he's not a hundred percent, he's he's not one to really show you a lot of his cards. Right, he's not gonna a lot of his work and a lot of the things he does doesn't necessarily drop off if, he, if he's not a hundred percent fit. So, but, so, so I'm so that's kind of what I'm thinking though. I'm like, and I was gonna bring up the, the, the obviously the news this week that Yonder Cadiz will stay with Nashville uh-huh, SC. Yes through the end of this season and i i wonder you know we're, we're, i i presume that pretty much ensures that this forward group is going to be the group that takes you to the end of the season uh probably with with little addition and, and even if there is you know if it's going to be somebody if it's going to be somebody from another league that's probably not a a guy and we've seen this with a lot of national sc players that if they come from another league, that's probably not going to be a guy that's going to play a ton of minutes and really come in and start right away. So I think this is pretty much the center four group that you're going to have for um, uh, for the rest of the year. And I look at it, and I'm still, still, still hoping that somebody comes in. Maybe that's Daniel Daniel Rios coming in as as the the quote unquote name new boy made made his first season made his first appearance for the first time. You certainly uh, hope that he season. You certainly hope that maybe he's the one that can finally become the the guy that has a, a six goals in four games type of streak. Because I think you know in terms of when we're talking about first half stuff, it obviously helps when you have somebody that's on a, on a heater that you can lean on. And uh, nobody's gotten on here yet for Nashville SC when it comes to putting goal balls in the back of the net. We're talking about center forwards. We talk about center forwards so much because it's <laughs> it's just there's there's nothing there's nothing obvious about it. Uh, there's so many combinations that you could do, and, and if you want the, the the two center forwards, you know, the two striker system, that's something that can happen. If you know you're talking about all these formations, I think the the biggest thing is. The way Nashville SC has started to score is through mostly through effective crosses yeah. that end up becoming either right off the bat into the net or off a scramble after it's won by whoever's in the goal or whoever's in the in the in the uh, penalty area. So that that I think is becoming more and more the identity more so than than feeding from Mukhtar from that midfield feeding into straight direct play as you call it. That direct play through the midfield into the the striker rule that's going to have to improve as well. I, I don't think it can be so one dimen- one dimensional. I mean, both sides. I mean, you're getting it from both sides. You're getting it from multiple people. You're getting it from fullbacks, and you're getting it from wingers. But I do think that there needs to be a little bit more effectiveness with direct play, and that's probably one of the chief reasons why we haven't seen the good play in the first half so far of first halves of games. Yeah. So a couple, I mean, a couple of things, first of all, with CJ, obviously his deal is a two year deal with a uh, club option. So this year, then you got 2022 and possibly 2023. He's, he hasn't had any signs of, of slowing down as far as his, his ability. I think his, his IQ as a center forward 
is what in basketball you would call a two-way player. I think C.J. Sapong is that in a very soccer sense. So he can be certainly a dependable striker. Now going with maybe someone like Don Baji, just not quite sure what, what's, what that's going to look like because he's just someone who hasn't had the best of luck with durability. But, you know, with Cadiz coming in, as you mentioned, having the ability to really show us, right, both media, supporters, uh, you know, skeptics. And, and the rest of the players, really. Really, yeah, and his teammates, you know, what exactly can he do when he doesn't have a foot injury, when he's not away on international duty, when he's not in and out of the lineup? Look, I mean, th- that's what you want to see. I mean, the guys here, he's a DP. That that tag simply isn't just going to go away. So um, another thing with, with Rios is you talked about trying to find a guy to give you goals in bunches. You know, in eight starts, giving you a goal every other game is pretty good. Yeah. Last year. Right. You know, he gives you four goals in eight starts. I know he played – in total, he technically played in 18 matches, but 18 starts – I mean, excuse me, eight starts at 18 – I mean, that's that's a big gap there. So giving him eight starts last year, if you want to give him, let's say, especially when when Gold Cup comes around and things might get a little chunky. A little stretched, little, I guess. A little, little chunky, roster, yeah. and, and road games start gluing together, and it just starts getting a lot of just too much, too much fatigue for one striker or two strikers to handle. He could very well be your guy if he's healthy. I mean, he's had – Foot injuries to begin, then he's had groin slash adductor injuries to close out his injury stint. Now he's back healthy. I've seen him train as well. Even if, if, if it's as simple as, you know, we're talking about the opponent today, this week, uh, Philadelphia Union, Corey Burke, uh, six six starts and four subs. He's, he's played 10 matches. He has four goals. Something as simple as that, right? Yeah, but look at, again, I mean, I hate to harp on the injury bug here. Oh, I understand that part. Literally, there literally has not been a forward. That can and play I'm not that besides cent- Sepon. I didn't, I didn't say center forward. I right. said forward. In general, yes. That has had a 100%. And I'm not, I mean, yeah, knocks or knocks, right? I, yeah. I'm, that's, that, I don't include that. What I'm saying is that there has not been a forward on Nashville C's roster that has been injury list in 2021 right that is rough that's that's a tough situation to handle if you're gary smith yeah so i i mean you gotta hope that whether it's sapong whether it's Cadiz, or whether it's rios um, i'm a big i'm a big fan of don Lottie because the dude has had anywhere from soft tissue to to foot to just like things that you can't just sit and get treatment for and then bada bing bada boom you're back on the field you actually have to wait it out and that sucks for a guy who can be very technical when he's fully confident obviously he gives you the pace obviously he knows how to be direct he's a guy you play in a ball long he'll go get it and it's a wrap for you right when he's fully confident so um, you just you just hope that a few of those guys, you know, obviously you don't want anybody having any injuries, but you do hope a few of those guys can really catch fire once you get into July and August when Gold Cup and all these other matches start, you know, coming thick and fast, as Gary Smith likes to say. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you there. And it's going to be, you know, this year more so, obviously, this it's going to be a challenge for, for Gary Smith to kind of stay true to what he wants to do while giving Nashville 
the, the side an opportunity to uh, produce the goals that get points and win matches. So, And this is a pretty good ending to what we've been talking about, right. which is all the obstacles that individual players and also the collective side has had to overcome. But the reality is when we, when we make it short and we, we compress it into a slug, look, four points out of six, it's pretty decent. It is. It is. But again, you're, you're still dropping points against non-good, non-great teams. And really, I wouldn't say that Toronto is even a good team at this well, point. Well, yeah, Toronto is not even a solid team. Toronto is a right. struggling team. Certainly. But Montreal needs more credit because Wilfred oh, yeah. Nancy is very underrated and how I think maybe a lot of people might have seen Gary Smith last year. Like he is the – I'm not going to say he's the Gary Smith of 2021 – what I am saying is he makes it very hard to play against. He makes yeah. Montreal very hard to play against. So make sure you're, making sure you get a point is the very least that you needed. But sure, Nashville C should have won the game. Uh, to end it, though, looking at, these, looking at this next setup, you know, going into July, to start it, as we mentioned, you've got Philly, you've got Atlanta, you've got Chicago to end the homestand. And then you go to Columbus – in their new stadium, downtown Columbus, Lower Dock. Excited Field. to see that this weekend. Very excited to see that. And then you host Cincinnati. Um, look, I think Cincinnati is not the Brenner, Luciano, Costa, very lucky team that started off the season. So you better hope that they can close out the month with three points there. But look, and I mean, this 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 month is you no mean, slouch. You mean the Cincinnati team that has more than a point per match right now? Yeah, there's 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 no reason why I don't you know. should. They're starting. They've won stacks, two in a row. Stats, baby, stacks, stats. This is the time to do it. Two in Cincinnati. They they call it a winning streak when you win two in a row, Good and that's grief. what FC Cincinnati is on right now. Good grief! They are still eleventh in the East, my friend, and still with a minus eight goal differential. Very so. much so. I mean, <laughs> Nashville sitting in sixth. Look, Columbus. It's traditional Columbus. You got Jonathan Mensah back there. They only conceded seven goals. That's the problem with Nashville this year. They are conceding set-piece goals. That is uncharacteristic of them. But I do believe... That that makes you more optimistic, though, that maybe... If you can shut it up, then things might look better. You might see more W's than D's on that uh, Perhaps. schedule. Dubs over D's, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick Gray, it's time that we wrap it up, my friend. What is your take for Philly Union Saturday at Nashville SC uh, Nissan Stadium, 7.30 kickoff? I, I think uh, I'm even hesitant to say that there will be a goal in this in this game. You know, I, Excuse I know, me, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Oh, don't want you to pop in there half an hour late. Um, I think that there is a likelihood that we see a very – Tense, but not very eventful match. Well, that's what we said about the Montreal match, didn't we? The, the first one, yeah. That, that is no, what, not the first one. Not the, the first the, one. The one that just sure. happened a few days yeah. ago. That that's that's fair, uh, but uh, you know this is probably going to be a side that's going to have Walker Zimmerman in it, so you might have a little tighter, tighter Nashville C group as a whole in the back, and. I guess one-to-one. I don't have a good feel for this match at all, if, if I'm being totally honest with you. I mean, I certainly don't. And that's probably going to continue on as we go through, you know, people going in and out of, on, on Gold Cup, you know, doing their thing with that and, and doing all the international stuff. And, 
you know, with all these matches for all for some of the the better players, you know, more time for those guys to pick up knocks that cost them time on the national SC side of things. So uh, I'm not going to have a great feel on, I feel like many of these matches coming down the stretch here or going through the summer here as we get, you know, July and August, that's going to be a tough, uh, it'll be tough to predict most of those things, but I'm going to just sit on one, one. If uh, it'd be, uh, it'd be a good time for Nashville SC to get some of those points back that they've, quote unquote dropped against inferior teams and maybe get one, get three against a, a team that they probably are at least even if not a little behind at this point. A la New England Revolution earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean this is an interesting setup because if you look at Philly, especially their their results on the road, they went to Atlanta to begin this second phase of the season. They drew two two they went a lot of goals in their games. It seems like well, they are erratic though. If you look at since that Atlanta match, they've gotten a one nil win over Columbus, and then obviously the three three. So just that's weird. As I just mentioned earlier, Columbus one of the one of the better it's, defensive teams. If you just look at goals allowed, you you, right. you go there. Or well, um, well, that one was on. That, that was one was at Phil, home. Yeah. That one's at home. That but was. still, I mean. You beat a, a, a good defensive Columbus team, and then you give up three goals, but you also Chicago. score three goals in Chicago. But if you go back earlier, they've had a one nil win over DC. They've had, you know, they they, they beat Chicago earlier in Chicago two nil in the season. So it's it's just weird looking at numbers. I don't think numbers are telling the complete truth in this situation. But I would agree with you that I do see a low-scoring, playing-for-a-draw type of situation, especially without uh, Jose Martinez for, for Philadelphia, who's coming off of international break. So, And we'll see. As I said earlier, questionable about Ali Bedoya yeah. in the starting 11. So I certainly want to see a better first half, though. I, and Well, I think everybody boy, does. Boy, oh, everybody yeah, does. I know that, that's stating the obvious, but, uh, but you really want to see – I don't even know how to put it into words really here, but it, it's it'd be nice to see a first half goal. Like a one nil early goal. Nashville. First 15 oh boy, minutes. that that would be something that you know Keep I think people glued to it their would, seats. It would make Gary Smith happy, number one. And I think that would set the tone of a match of the match in an interesting way. But also like uh, how many times have they gotten into halftime up one nothing? Uh, and they did. They did go up. CJ Sepong's goal that in that New England Revolution game was early, was pretty was in the first half. But it'd be nice to have that kind of textbook Nashville scene. We mentioned it when you know right after that game happened in our episode. Right after that game happened, it was a textbook Nashville SC victory where you saw them in control most of the game. weren't gonna They weren't gonna give concede easily. Let's see that again. Like I, I understand it's interesting, and entertaining when it's two two and. 3-2 and 1-1 one, one at the at the very, very, with all the goals happening in the last half hour of the match. Let's see Nashville SC return to being what we think that they want to be, and, and let's see that against a good team. That's why I think you know, the Revolution game was so positive and really reminds you of what this team can be like. Let's see that again. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the past three home matches – like, it doesn't have to be all stress, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying stress, but if you just look at 
the past three matches, the earliest they've scored, which was pretty decent, 35th minute um, against Austin, John Ricardis' cross into to, to Leal yeah. to to get the only goal of the game sure. against Houston. I mean, not uh, Houston, against, against, against Austin. Austin, yeah. Um, let's let's, so, let's see that again. Yeah, I think, I think getting an early goal, first 25 minutes, 15 to 25th, that would be ideal. Yeah. And, and, and to, to – to close it off, I, I think uh, it's interesting to me to see Jack Mayer get his first real look in, in a National SC shirt. And, and I feel really good about him being a part of, you know, I, I don't know if Zimmerman, you know, are not going to rotate through, but there are going to be times where Zimmerman and Romney aren't going to be 100% fit. And you can feel comfortable now, I think, with giving them in a midweek match maybe a time you know you go sit down for half an hour or for a full hour and once we get to the 16th minute then we'll reassess what how jack's playing but i feel like he's been a, a good that that's been a good thing for Nashville. let's see as you talk more about depth because i don't think we had a good feel about the center back depth behind those two and i think you can you can really play with that now and i know you're talking gary smith was talking about three at the back maybe maybe we see that with jack Mayer sometime soon back there with those three Yep, we'll wrap it up, but thanks everyone for listening. Jack Mayer could be more of the summer plans because obviously Walker Zimmerman's still on the provisional Team USA, U.S. Men's National Team roster for Gold Cup, which by the time Nashville takes the field against Philly, that roster will be finalized. So we'll wait and see. Nick Gray, Drake Hills, this has been Plugged In, a Nashville soccer podcast. Peace. Peace.